We say around here that every, every Sunday is, a, is an Easter Sunday because it is on the first day of the week that the church throughout all these centuries has celebrated the resurrection of our Lord. But we do it on one day in particular out of the year and we call this Resurrection Sunday. Now, I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me to one particular passage, one, one spot in the Scripture, one spot in the New Testament. And I hope that you will each have a copy of, of the Word of God in your lap that you can follow along with, or maybe you've, you know, you're doing like a lot of folks do, you just have a Bible app on your phone, and you can punch in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, and there it will come up. I don't even need to know the books of the Bible, don't even have to know the table of contents um, in this day in which we live. I want to give you another definition, another meaning for the word resurrection here in a minute. But here is, here is the statement from the Apostle Paul that a number of scholars who have studied his life for years and years have come to believe that this is the this is the apex this is the zenith this is the highest point if you will in Paul's statement of his personal conviction his personal belief if you could summarize everything that this great Christian the writer of two-thirds of your New Testament if you wanted to pick out a summary verse for his life, for his passion, for the content of his faith, many scholars would say this is it. This is it. This sums it up for Paul. Verse 10, Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now the word resurrection, the English word resurrection comes from a compound form, a word, a, 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 a put together word in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written. And the word in the original language literally means this. We call it, we translate it resurrection, but here's what it literally means. To stand up again. To stand up again. We might put it in our South Texas vernacular, to get back up again. May I know him, Paul says, in his power to get back up again, to stand back up again. I wonder if there's anybody in this house who knows what it is to be knocked down flat of your back, to have the wind taken out of you, to find yourself in the middle of such a situation of discouragement or shock and awe at what has happened to you or what looks like it is befalling you. It may be medically, it may be professionally, 
It may be in a relationship with a marriage or a friend or a child or a member of your family. But the only way you can describe it is that it just knocked me out. It knocked me down. Here is a word for you. Happy Easter. Here's a word. Paul says, I want to know Jesus in his power to get back up again. As if he's saying, if he can do that for himself, if that was done for him, that he must have the ability to do that for me. Jesus would say in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall he live again. In other words, if you want to experience the power to get back up again when you've had your wind knocked out, when you've had your world crash, when you've had your dreams dashed to a thousand pieces, and you don't know if you even want to go again, there is one source in the universe and one source only from which you can get the power to get up again. <laughs> And it's in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We are not here, we are not here serving a ministry, a memory. We, we're, we are not servicing a memorial. We are here gathered in the presence of the one who one time died on the cross 2,000 years ago for your sins and my sins in our place buried for three days, and on the third day, he rose from the dead again. Rose from the dead to live again. You say, well, I and folks can say, I don't know whether I believe that or not. I, it's a story, it's a story. We sang a minute ago, I know my Redeemer lives. Well, how do you know your Redeemer lives? Well, here's one way you know that your Redeemer lives. If you've had your world crushed, if you've had your dreams dashed, if you've had your breath knocked out, and some way or another, he is giving you the ability to get back up again and go on with your life. I know experientially. I know by my own walk, by my own life, that he lives because of what he's doing in me, giving me the ability to do some things I couldn't do on my own, that I may know him and the power of his ability to get me back on my feet again, says Paul. Now, if a great Christian like Paul would need the power of the resurrection of Jesus, then you and I for sure need the power of the resurrection of Jesus to get up and keep going. I want us to take apart this little section of scripture, if we could for a minute, and get at what Paul is trying to emphasize here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now you back up a few verses and Paul does a little autobiographical treatment of his of his experience, of his life, of his background, and it's worth, it's worth noting 
that I may know him. Well, who is the I? The I is this, this one named Paul. Look at verse, at verse five. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. That, that, was, that was what the law said, the Old Testament law, that the males in the family, eight days after they were born, they were to be circumcised. In other words, Paul is saying, I grew up in a very religious home. I had a strong church-going home if you want to put it in the context of the church. I was born into a religious family of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. He backs up, you look at verse four again, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And then he lists these categories of, of his life in the flesh, uh, meaning his, his life before he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. He, 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 had a, he had a good life. He had a strong life. He had a very religious life, uh, steeped with tradition and Bible background and, and rituals that were performed at the proper time. He says, if anybody ought to have confidence in what can get you up when you've been knocked down, what can get you back on your feet when you're knocked down, if anybody on the face of the earth outside of a relationship with Christ ought to have something they could have confidence in, it would be me. Look at the kind of family I was born into. Look at the nation I was born into. I even have a connection with a particular tribe, one of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. I, I, was, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then the choice that I made was to become a Pharisee. I wanted to learn. I wanted to push myself. I wanted to get as good as I could get in the things about the Bible and knowing about God passionately with great information working in my heart. I, that, that, was, that was what I wanted. If anybody had, has confidence that they understand what it is to be right with God, and they would have confidence that, that if they needed something, God would just drench them in power, then certainly my background would do it. To which later he goes on to say, but all of that stuff that I thought would help me when I got emotionally bankrupt, would help me when, when I had no other source to turn to and everything else had failed me, even those things I've listed. I found myself with a great sense of loss and a great sense of emptiness until Christ Jesus came to me and I came to know him. You know, the, the folks that we, we live with, we, we might say, well, you know, that's my story. I was born to a religious family. I'm an American. I'm a Texan. I'm not just an American. I'm a Texan. And I'm not just any Texan. I'm a San Antonio Texan. Well, you say I was um, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Well, you say, well, I, I, I grew up a Baptist. <laughs> I, I was a Catholic. I grew up a Pentecostal. I was, um, I was in church all my life. As to the law, 
as to studying and pursuing and wanting to really be right by God. I, man, I went on mission trips. I went to Bible college. I didn't just go to any Bible college. I, I went to, and you could pick your name. And I mean, and I studied. And I didn't just study because I, I, I thought I was forced to. I had a passion about it. I was passionate. I was involved and around church stuff and Bible stuff all along. But I wonder if anybody in here would say, you know, the point came in my life. When I hit something so hard that touched me so deep that not even my mother and father and everything they invested in me could help me. Not, not even the fact that I was born in this country and born in this state, the fact that I served in the military, that, that, I, was, that, 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 that I, was, I was a good person and I tried to do good things. I reached a point in my life where not even those things were able to help me at the point that I reached. Folks, it's all headed to, some, to, to the same destination, the same spot. You're thinking, my thinking, Paul's thinking. Life is not always going to be fair. Life is not always going to be easy. Life is always going to eventually cause us to face some things that can literally take the wind out of our sails and cause us to wonder what in the world is going on. How can I make this? Paul was walking that out, living his life, basing his future on what he felt that his past had prepared him for. And then we, we find this same Apostle Paul, or before he's an Apostle Paul, he's, he's caught up in the, this, this persecution, this trying to round up these, these deranged followers of this one called Jesus of Nazareth. And it says, verse chapter 8, book of Acts, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He had put them in prison. Then chapter 9. Now Saul, same writer of this Philippians passage we've just been reading, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, followers of Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell on the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, calling his name. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless and hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and then neither ate nor drank. 
and Ananias, a Christian brother appointed by the Lord to go to Saul and inform him of what his future would be, was spoken to by the Lord in this way, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, you go Ananias and tell him, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, for my name's sake. Until Saul had that encounter with Jesus Christ, he thought being born into the right family, being a Jew, being a Benjamite, Benjamite, being, being a Hebrew of the Hebrews and being a Pharisee would be enough to stack the odds in his favor with God. That all he had to really trust in was what he was able to do, what had been done for him, given to him, and what he was able to do to prove his worth before God. And then all of a sudden, he meets Jesus of Nazareth, resurrected now, meets him on the road, and he realizes that every single thing he had been trusting in to impress God, to make sure he got from Jerusalem to heaven, was all wrong. It wasn't that the people were bad. It wasn't that everything that he had been taught was necessarily wrong. But it was that his confidence in the ability of being born into a family was enough to get you into heaven that that was wrong. That the confidence that you were born in America or you were born in Israelite or you were born in Texas or you were born in Jerusalem, that that would be enough to get sins forgiven and heavens to be opened. He realized that confidence was misplaced. That the only place the confidence should be resting in as far as how sins are forgiven and heaven is opened is not what my mother and father gave me, not the religion or denomination that I grew up in, but singularly and specifically in the shed blood of Jesus Christ in my place on the cross for my sins. When I put my faith, as he would say, put my faith in Jesus, I receive a right standing with God that's not something that I composed, not something that I created or drafted or tried to manufacture. All the right things here, enough wrong, right things here to undo these wrong things there. That that's a joke. It would mean if that's how it worked, that Jesus of Nazareth died unnecessarily, naked, beaten beyond recognition on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, the only innocent person to have ever been born. His life and his death was a waste. If you can get from San Antonio to heaven by any other means, by any other means, I'm going to say it again, by any other means than by faith in the death of Jesus Christ for your sins, for my sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day because he had satisfied the requirement necessary for our sins. He was raised on account of, Paul would say, our justification. We celebrate Easter 
because of the power of the resurrection, the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. But I'll tell you another reason, folks, why we celebrate Easter. It's proof that you and I as sinners who have put our trust in Jesus Christ have indeed and in fact been forgiven by God Almighty. He was raised on account of our justification. Justified before God on the basis of what Jesus Christ did in my place on the cross, in your place on the cross 2,000 years ago. Not because you were raised in a Catholic home, not because I was raised in a Baptist home, not because you went to some seminary or college or did some mission trip or, or expressed some uh, expression of passion for the Lord in your earlier years. If all of that could get us to heaven, then the cross of Jesus Christ was a waste. But because it is the only way the blood of Jesus is the only detergent to wash us from our sins. We have no other option if we're to know forgiveness before God and right standing with him and the embrace of the Father's love by faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Now look, here he moves into that in verse 5. Excuse me, we're back to Philippians 3 and verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Now, what he's talking about there is all of these things that I used to put my trust in that would, that would, would, would give me a leg up before God, my family upbringing, my religious background, my Pharisee hard work, all of that stuff, I've added that up and I've realized that doesn't, that doesn't get me anywhere with God in terms of my relationship with him, eternity and my sins being forgiven. I added up the ability of my theological education to atone for my sins and I realized that all those years in theological education amount to zero merit as far as getting my sins forgiven and having a right relationship with God. Being around a bunch of smart people. Pharisees were smart. They were determined. They, were, they, they prided themselves in education as they, as they understood education and things of the scripture and the old Mosaic law and so forth. And, and, and very, very uh, much involved in their community, wanting to make sure everybody else got, got their act together according to the way they saw that it needed to be lived. And Paul said, I added all that stuff up. And I came to realize that it was a big, fat goose egg as far as having anything to do with getting me closer to God, getting me right with God. He says, as you go into verse 9, may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, right standing with God, a rightness from the inside out, which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith is not about who your mama is. It's not about whether you're a San Antonian. It's not about whether you've tried to do good things. It's whether or not, according to the scripture, 
you have put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ as the substitute for your sins. And as you do that, we embrace the gift of his foot. There's no more earning. There's no more working. There's no more sweating it. There's no more worrying, am I in or am I out? Did I do enough or not do enough? It's settled in the person of Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus and you receive all that is necessary for sins to be forgiven for a new. You say, well, well, that, you know, that's another thing. Well, if, I, if that's good, then I don't, then you don't have to try anymore. No, 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 no. It's not the trying to measure up. It's the reality that now that, now that he lives in you, there's a want to that you didn't have to want to please him. It's dropped 18 inches that he went to the cross because he loved you. He died for your sins because you mean something to him, because you matter to him, that he desires relationship with you. And when that drops 18 inches and you've embraced the gift of the one who died for you in your place and he comes to live inside your heart, here's what happens. It's like, oh, like, that, like that Clark Kent deal. On the outside, just a mild-mannered, whatever you are, mild-mannered. But when push comes to shove, and there needs to be something of greater power than what you have. You rip that coat off and there's that big ass is something else. I don't know what it might be on you. But it's the presence, the indicative presence of the living Jesus Christ inside you that has changed your want to. That's given you desires to please him. Given you the ability to believe him for the impossible. Everybody else says, how in the world are we going to make it? And you'll get around and say, how can we not make it? Look at that giant. And we'll look at the God of the giant. That's you. Because Christ, Christ has come in to live inside you. Not that you're copying somebody else's pattern. Or you feel like I'm coming before the Lord. Here I am on the basis of what somebody else has done for me or I've tried so hard to do. I have received by faith the gift of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for me. I receive his death by faith, and I receive the power of his resurrection by faith too. I receive alive in me the power of Jesus Christ to get me back on my feet again. When it seems like the world is trying to knock me down and break my heart and trash my dreams that I may know him. Lord, here's my prayer, that I may know you on Monday, Monday afternoon at four, Wednesday at 6 a.m., Thursday evening at 7 p.m., that I may know you in your power to get me back on my feet again. The power of your resurrection working in my life. Our goal around here is not just to be doing a bunch of Bible study so that we get our heads real fat on biblical information. Paul will say in Galatians chapter 3 that no law, no law has in it life. 
You're not going to find life, the power to do the things that we can't do on our own, just by staring at the Scripture. That's what Paul did as Saul. That's what the Pharisees did. They, there, some, some would say that if, if all of the copies of the Old Testament Scripture had been lost, burned, destroyed, there was enough biblical memory locked into ones such as the Pharisees and, and others that they could sit down and from memory collectively rewrite the entire Old Testament. But when Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, showed up and walked among them, they missed him. They knew the Bible backwards and forwards, but they didn't recognize God when he walked in the room. Oh, Lord, help us. It isn't about knowing what the Bible says nearly as much as it is knowing the God who wrote the Bible. And that is Jesus by his Spirit. That's why Paul would say, and he would write two-thirds of your New Testament. But he would say, here it is for me. Here's the great life wish. Here's the consummate cry of my heart. Jesus, I want to know you. How? In the power of your resurrection. Don't give me more information. Don't give me more insight into I want to know experientially. Your power that was exhibited through you when you were raised from the dead, I want to know your power to get me back on my feet and keep me back on my feet as I walk through this life in this world. I'll tell you, it's a prayer like old Bartimaeus' prayer. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a cry every Every lover of the Lord, every seeker of God can cry out. It, it stopped Jesus in his tracks on that crowded day in Jericho. Blind beggar had nothing to give Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy. Don't just feel sorry for me. Mercy me. It's a verb. Mercy me. But then this one. Lord, I want to know you. Church, I want to know you and your power to get back up on your feet. I want to know you and your power to get me back up on my feet. When habits have knocked me down, when attitudes have knocked me down, when the passage of time has knocked me down, when rejection has knocked me down, Jesus, I want to know you. I need to know you in the power of your resurrection. I'm telling you, I'm talking to some folks today. And there may not be anything else you know real well, but this one thing you know, know real well. You know about a broken heart. You know about loneliness. You know about feeling like a failure. You know about sensing that what you wished for and dreamed for, to see that, to see that disappear or vanish before your very eyes. 
And there can be working inside real people of which Paul was saying, I'm a real person. I mean, I'm an apostle and all that stuff and I'm, I'm being used to write some scripture, but I'm a real person. And there's sometimes, there's some days that I don't even know if I want to keep going. He would say that in Colossians. We despaired our second Corinthians. We despaired even of life. Didn't know if we wanted to keep on living. It had gotten so tough. He had medical issues more than likely. Some would say he couldn't see. As he got older, his, his, his vision diminished. Some would say it was a gastrointestinal problem that he contracted when he was in Asia Minor. Don't leave him on the missionary journey. Lord, that I may know you in the power of your resurrection, even physically. Lord, I need to know your power over my physical body. That, that, that death couldn't hold you. Physical death couldn't hold you. You're alive. You're here. Show me your power in my body. Show me your power in my mind. Show me your power to get me back on my feet and my emotions. His heart would be broken repeatedly by, by, by Christians who should have known better, who, who would begin to criticize him and, and, and take up the crazy and bizarre kinds of beliefs that they should have known better about, but they didn't. And he was always having to track down heresy and, and, and deal with apostasy in the churches and all those, that kind of stuff. Lord, if I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, if I'm going to finish, raise me up. Show me the power of your resurrection. Amen? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Christian, my brother, my sister, pray that prayer. Take Paul's words. If you're in that place of weakness, you're in that place of disillusionment, you're in that place of discouragement, you're in that place of hopelessness, the Lord knows. That's why this verse is put in your Bible. It was put there before you were ever born. That he knew you and I would come to a place sometime in our lives where we would need to know this is true and this is what God wants to do for us. Lord, I need to know you and the power of your resurrection where sin couldn't hold you and Satan couldn't hold you and, the, and, and, the, and a system couldn't hold you, physical death couldn't hold you. I need the freedom that only you can bring and the power of your resurrection. Now, now let me give you something else that is important to keep in mind. Verse 10 ends with this, and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, that I may know him. How am I going to know you, Lord? How do you want me to know you? Theoretically, uh, conceptually, just from words on a page, the word for know here is, is a very specific word that the Lord put in Paul's heart to write down to you. It, it, was, it was not the word for intuitive knowledge. Like when you walk into a room and something just goes off in you and you just know it's cold or it's hot. You don't need any cognitive learning to bring you to the point of discerning by intuition it's cold or it's hot. Paul could have used that word, but he didn't to describe this kind of knowing of Jesus. 
This verb specifically means to learn by experience. Not just to look at the name Jesus and say, oh, I know Jesus. No, you don't. If the idea is all he is is five letters on a page. We haven't seen him. We haven't heard his voice spoken, more than likely. But we can say, oh yeah, I know Jesus because I've read the stories of him in the Bible. But what a... What an erroneous conclusion that is. Paul, here's, here's the deal. That I may know him. It's a specific type of past tense that emphasizes the, the initiation of the knowing. But it carries with it the idea that that which was, in, in, was instituted in the past is something that is con- to continue on into the future with increasing activity and increasing result all the way through to the completion of seeing Jesus finally face to face. I was introduced to him on the Damascus Road. In that sense, I came to know him, know who he is. But here's what I want from you, Lord. I know I didn't learn everything about you when you spoke to me from heaven. But what I want from you, please, is that as you reveal to me more and more of your power to get me back up on my feet again, that is going to be consistent with and a part of me getting to know you throughout the days of my life. That I may know you, it started here, it's continuing on, but the means whereby I'm knowing you is the ways in which you are showing me every day if necessary, every hour in the day, that you have the power to get me back on my feet again and keep me back on my feet again. Folks, listen. Knowing Jesus is about knowing him and the activity of his power. Not just in mastering certain theological concepts or memorizing certain verses or knowing certain doctrinal truths. It is about the personal experiencing of his power in your life and my life. And Paul's saying, we're not going to get the whole enchilada the first time we meet him. It's going to be a progressive dinner. It's going to be a meal that continue on. And as things come up and situations happen, that break our hearts, that are difficult. In this world, you're gonna have tribulation. But what did Jesus say? You be of good cheer because I've what? I have overcome the world. The overcomer of the world living inside us, walking with us through the situations of our lives has the ability to teach us more of who he is as he works in the problem areas of our lives. And the problem areas are dealt with or worked with as he gives us the ability to not quit, to not give up, to not check it in, to not say, oh, woe is me, what's this all about? I'll go try some other religion. It's that, you know, I don't understand this. It's I sure would have wished it had gone another way. But here's the truth, Lord. 
I, everybody else may think I'm nothing and that I've failed and I've blown it, but somewhere or another, I don't feel like you've left me. I feel like you're here with me. That brings up that last part, that I may know him, power of his resurrection, and fellowship of his sufferings, partnership in his sufferings, participation in his sufferings. Okay, so what were his sufferings? How did Jesus suffer? What were the things that hurt him? What were the things that bruised him? I mean, we, we, could, we could think of right before his death, the, the beating and the crucifixion, but, but the reality is those were just symptoms. The, the, the root cause, the root hurt for Jesus was the rejection, the rejection, the flat out rejection from those he created from those in particular, those who were his own, as John 1 would say, those who were his own did not receive him. He came to the Jewish people. He came to the Pharisees. He came to the ones who had studied the Old Testament law and they rejected him. Folks, here is the point. The greatest depth of the suffering of Jesus is the rejection that Jesus Christ endured. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been rejected? We say, well, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Time can allow there to be enough of a buffer from the immediacy of the situation to the present, which may be a while out in the future, all that it does is just allow enough time for calluses around the hurt, around the infection, around the wound to grow. It hasn't been healed, it's just got a callus around it. Jesus will say, or Paul will say here, there are two things, two ways in which we progressively, with greater intensity, come to know Jesus. One is as he exercises power to get us back up on our feet, his power to raise the dead at work in us, but then also, and these two are inseparably grammatically linked, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. It's as if Paul is saying, you will not know one without also experiencing the other. Which means that if you say, well, I, what I've got is the suffering going on right now, then good news. That's inseparably linked to the power of his resurrection. But if it's resurrection power, the reason we may need the resurrection power at work in us is because of rejection. To get us back up on our feet again. Jesus came. See if you can find yourself in these statements. Jesus came to speak the truth. Jesus came to represent what was right, and he was rejected. Now, this can be on a family level. This can be on a marriage level. This can be on a business level, a personal level. However, Jesus stepped into the situation, led by the Spirit of God, and he spoke the truth, and he was hated for the truth. He exampled what was right and was hated for it. 
He introduced something that was new. He introduced some things that were different. He introduced some things that were better. And he was rejected for those reasons. Here's the point. If you find yourself in a place of being rejected, and it may, not, it may or may not have great spiritual roots to it. It may be something right. It may be something new that is in a secular kind of a setting. But you find yourself being so preyed upon or resisted by the system for every action, there is a reaction from an ascended or threatened system. But just understand, you are not alone in the place of being rejected. The fact that the powers that be or, or significant ones are rejecting you does not mean that their opinion of you is the right opinion or the correct opinion, i.e. Jesus the Christ and what he was sent to present. The fellowship of his suffering. Don't let the voice of suffering, the voice of those hurts, lie to you and convince you that the rejection by those that matter to you, they are really speaking the truth about who you are. They weren't speaking the truth about who Jesus was, but they were powerful enough to engineer enough of a movement that they could bring him not just before the religious authorities, but before the governmental authorities, and they were able to impose a punishment upon him. But he was standing in the right. He was standing for truth. He brought something new. He brought something different. He brought something better, and it was all right. And time has verified the position that he took. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. Lord Jesus, I need you to get me back up on my feet again. And part of why I'm needing you to get me back up on my feet again is because I feel the daggers of rejection. Paul will say those two are part of the same coin. Flip sides of the same coin. But he's saying, I'm gonna know him, folks, please let this in. It's not just that we're gonna know him, know him better as we experience his power to get us back up again, but we're gonna know him better too as we sense his presence in the places of our rejection, in the places of our abandonment, in the places of our loneliness, in the places of being judged. The fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him, Paul said. My confidence is not going to be in the home I was born into, the state I was born into, the nation I was born into, the fraternity I was a part of, the corporate structure I'd been a part of, as if those things have the ability to ultimately satisfy my soul or rescue me when all hell breaks out, or be there for me when I need 
something to restore vision and dream and joy and life. Where do those things come from that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his? Y'all, y'all real quiet. Y'all hearing this? Is that making some sense? Making some sense. Now look, I sometimes want to come to church on Easter and want to get a formula of how to, how to make a gazillion dollars in the next six months and how to make all the booger bears run off and leave us and everything be just fine. And Well, that ain't happening here as you've obviously found out. But here's the truth. Better than a gazillion dollars is that there is somebody when your heart gets blown out, even if you've got it all in the bank, but your heart gets blown out because somebody you care about walked out on your life. Some medical condition came that you didn't expect and you didn't have any answer for. It was diagnosed and you're the, you're the one that the doctor says you have this. Then what do you do? Something comes up in business. It just seems like it's a Goliath facing you. What do you do when our hearts are blown out? I just Resurrection means the ability to stand up again. The power of his resurrection is to get me up on my feet again and still going and trusting him. Not being surprised that there's suffering. Places where there's suffering. Places where there's rejection. Places where folks don't understand. But he hasn't left. I'm talking to some folks who, you know, who may still be working through that thing. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I, I kind of think if I hang around smart people and if I do all my thinking and I come to my own conclusions and, and certainly have the right to have process those things and work down through, but, you know, the thing about it is that folks are a whole lot smarter than you and me. The folks who have lived a whole lot more of life than we've ever lived, one of those being this fellow named Paul, would say the sum total of everything that this world can give to me and what natural birth situations can give to me, all that that adds up to when it comes to having the power to rescue my falling heart, to give me my soul back again, to want to live again, to press forward with vision and a direction. The only one who can do that is Jesus in my relation. I didn't say church. You understand that? I didn't say church. I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to get them walk out of here. But the church can't do this for you. We can come to the church, a church, any church, pick your brand. We can come to a church in hopes of finding ourselves in the presence of the living Jesus, encouraged by the praises, and he inhabits the praises of his people. And it's important to be among the people of God. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, the writer of Hebrews would say. But to think that if I just come to church and by osmosis, somehow or another, I'm gonna get the power of his resurrection to get up on Monday morning and walk with joy through Tuesday, and I wanna check out by Thursday evening, it's a pipe dream. Jesus is the most concerned folks, about his relationship with you, with you. He doesn't deal with us just in groups. It's you. He knows how you're wired. He knows what offends you, what frustrates you, what is strange to you, what has hurt you. He knows all of that. And he loves you. And he wants you to get to know him. 
And so he, as we walk with him, here come these things that stretch us. Here come these places that are bigger than we are. It's solely for the purpose of his drawing us into a place. Lord, I need, I want to know you in this. And I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Your power in me to get me back on my feet again. With a heart to live again. With some from some source that's unknown to me. It's got to come from you. Joy again. Lord, I don't know if I can ever laugh again. I don't know if I can ever smile again. I don't know if I can ever sleep a whole night through without waking up terrified. We may not. But he does that I may know you, Lord, in the power of your ability to get me back on my feet again. And Lord, may I know you in the partnership, in the participation, in the fellowship of your suffering where I'm being rejected, where I'm walking through a season of rejection or having had that season in my life, trying to get the other side of it, Lord, that you'll make your presence known to me in the place of my rejection. There's just so much hope in that. And that's the message of Easter. If all we had was a little baby Jesus still in Mary's lap, he's not a baby anymore and he's not still in Mary's lap. If all we had was just the picture of Jesus still hanging on the cross, he's not still hanging on the cross. He's not still dying. He's not still suffering. He's not still ostracized. He's not still under the human thumb. He has been raised from the dead. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all creation, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and the one who says, I want you to know me in the power of my resurrection in your life. Amen. Preach it, preacher. Preach it, preacher. You can go out of here. You can go out of here and declare that, those truths as well. Or better yet, we just show it. Folks, look at your life and say, I don't know how you keep making it. I don't know how you keep going. What are you smoking? What are you drinking? What's your trick? That I may know him in his power to get me back on my feet again. Not bound by sorrow, not bound by shame, not bound by sins, not bound by habits, not bound by the opinions of people. Get me back on my feet again to live with him.